Welcome to the Exhorter Podcast, a place to stir up love and good works through bite-sized biblical discussion. My name is John Bradford. I'm here with Kyle Goodwin and Paul Nerland, and we thank you for tuning into this episode. Uh, this week, uh, Kyle's going to lead us off. Uh, Kyle, what are we going to talk about? We're going to be talking about sin. I know that's kind of a heavy topic to discuss, but uh, it's something we can all relate to, right? Have you sinned? Or do you sin, I guess, is maybe the question to ask. Uh, who, who's going to answer no to that question? No, I don't sin. Try not to. Is that the, yeah, that's, yeah, the, an, that's the answer we usually give. So Do our best. It, it's something we can all relate to, but maybe this is the more specific question to talk about today. How do you respond when someone calls you on it? How do you react when someone tells you you're sinning or even suggests that you may be sinning? What's the typical response is to get defensive, right? Yeah. You ever been in that situation where someone's called you out on something and you know they're right, but you're not going to you're not going to admit to it? Yeah, and I I don't know if it's always being called out on sin, but definitely calling out on faults. I think that happens in marriage a lot. <laughs> Uh, being called out on something that you you don't think you do, but yeah, I think sin would be about the same. It's um, this kind of you're not really seeing yourself, you know, the way that other people see you. So sometimes it's hard to see your own faults and your own sin. I think we get a, a, a false sense of ourselves by factors that have nothing to do with sin in our life. I go to church every Sunday and I'm there to every service. Therefore, I am a holy good person and I don't sin, which is of course the furthest thing from the truth. <laughs> uh, we are sinners and that's why we're Christians. And so a lot of times I think it's easy to separate ourselves from reality of the sin that might be in our life because, well, I went to church on Sunday, so I feel better. And I kind of remove that from my mind. And there's that part where you subconsciously measure yourself up to other people. Like they don't come, I come, you know, the, that type of thing, you know, um, obviously I'm doing. And what you're doing is trying to rationalize your sins. You're making excuses. And so that's, that's kind of the point I want to make today is we did an episode on excuses for evangelism. What excuses we give when God calls us into work or into service? What excuses do we make to try and get out of that calling? Well, we make excuses with sin too. We try and minimize the consequences of sin. Now, sin is a really bad thing. It's something universal that we all understand and all have an experiential knowledge of. But sometimes we just don't think it's as bad or we talk ourselves out of the consequences of it. Isaiah 59 says that in verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin has real consequence. It destroys the connection you have with your creator. It creates a separation and it destroys relationships with other people. It's very true in marriage. It's very true in families. It's very true in in your circle of friends that when you transgress and do something wrong, there are consequences, real consequences. So why is it that when someone calls us out on a sin or a perceived sin, why do we get defensive? Shouldn't we be grateful? I mean, if we're just thinking rationally, you'd, you'd think you'd be grateful. If sin has those real consequences and causes real damage, I should be glad when someone tells me that I might not be aware that I'm sinning. But instead, the natural inclination for most of us, maybe even all of us, is to get a little defensive. I think it's a human thing to have this uh, weird relationship with shame. We don't always deal with shame very well. We feel it, um, but we hide it, 
And I don't know why we act like we're unique. You know, everyone else goes through this, but I think especially men, you know, when it comes into feelings and things like this and uh, feeling less than, we don't really share our faults. You know, we feel like we're kind of measured by peers and by people based upon those faults. And so don't get, don't get into sharing our faults because that's, that's a future episode uh, in the not so distant future. We're talking about when someone confronts us on sin and our defensiveness, but you're absolutely right. This is, you could almost make an argument that this is baked into to human nature, especially when you look at Adam and Eve. You look at all the excuses they made. The very first sin, and Adam says, oh, no, no, it's that woman you gave me. She's the one that had me eat the fruit. He's blaming God for giving her the woman, and he's blaming Eve, and he's not owning up to it. And where do you find Adam and Eve? When God goes to the garden to confront them, where are they? Hiding. They're hiding. And they've made uh, very crude garments uh, out of leaves to try and cover their shame. And so it's mankind's nature, you could almost argue, to try and make a covering and, and hide away when we sin. And God wants us to make that clear so and confess it, to expose sin, rather than do what seems natural to us and hide it away and bury it and pretend like it never happened. So I want to talk for the rest of our, our episode today, I want to talk about a classic example of someone who uh, made excuses for their sins, and that's King Saul. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and just look at a couple of examples and analyze the excuses that Saul made so we don't make the same excuses ourselves, or at least so we can recognize when we're making some of these same excuses for ourselves. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, as was very common in Saul's day, the Philistines are lining up to fight against Israel. They've got all their chariots, all their soldiers, and everyone's afraid. And so it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 7, that some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So Saul can tell that his people's courage is failing. They're lining up against a superior adversary, and he doesn't know what to do. He can see everyone scattering and running, so he takes matters into his own hands. He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon, and you got to love the timing on this, right? As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Okay. What did Saul do that was wrong? Let's break this down a little bit. What did he do that was wrong? Sure. I mean, he was uh, offering sacrifice. He was doing, he wasn't doing his job. He was doing someone else's job, Samuel's job. Yeah, the, the the offering of sacrifices is for a priest. And Saul was not from the tribe of Levi. So he has clearly sinned and violated an established commandment of God. That is missing the mark, plainly. So Samuel confronts him and says, what have you done? Notice his answer in verse 11. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel says, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God as he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom in Israel forever. So there's going to be some consequences for this this sin, this missing of the mark on Saul's part. What is the excuse that you guys see him making here? Have you ever encountered similar excuses for sin today? You're talking about when he says, 
I felt compelled. Yeah. What What was that compulsion? What was it that compelled him? I don't know. This verse makes it seem like God has a very specific thing he's looking for from us at all times, and uh, there's no leeway to uh, ad lib. Yeah. And this is something I try to impress upon my children. When they do something wrong, I try not to ask. It's it's hard to avoid this mistake, but I, I try not to ask why did you do that? Because when you violate a clear commandment, you do something that is definitely wrong. Is there a good answer to that question? Why did you do this? And if you tell that to your children, why did you do this? Then they're going to start thinking for an answer and you're just training them to start rationalizing something that's wrong. The better question like Samuel is, what have you done? Explain to me what you did that was wrong because there is no good answer to this. It seems like his response, which is common for us, is... Well, I had good intentions. Yeah. Really. You know, I, I meant well, um, and he tried to explain himself, but that's a common response is, well, if I had good intentions, it's not a sin. Right? Yeah. Well, he says, I didn't want to go fight the Philistines without making supplication to the Lord first. And that sounds good. Which is kind of crazy, right? Because in our society today, there's very little that people think is wrong, is a wrong way to worship. You know, if if the intent is towards worshiping God, it doesn't right. really matter how you do it. You know, it's how your your heart's compelled or how you're called to. There's very little that many people think is the wrong way to worship. Uh, and yet God has a very specific, I mean, this is, this is clear as day, a very specific way that he wants it to happen. Yeah. So his first real experience excuse here is that he had good intentions, but it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. If God sets a line and says, do not cross, there's not a good answer. There's not a good reason for you to cross that line, even with the best of intentions. Now, if we kind of read between the lines, who is he pinning the fault on? Is he owning responsibility for offering a sacrifice, even though he's not a priest? Is he saying, yes, my bad, I made a mistake. Who is he blaming this on? Well, he sounds like he's blaming Samuel yeah. for not being there. And again, you, you got to love the timing on that. It's almost like God was giving him a test. He says, wait seven days for Samuel to get there. Samuel's not here on the seventh day. And the second, the moment he's done offering the sacrifice, Samuel shows up and says, what did you do? You know, the timing is not a coincidence, but yes, he is passing the blame. Samuel, it's your fault. If you were here, but you made me do it. Well, the next major event in Saul's life that we read about comes in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, where he's given the plain instructions to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And just like Anakin with the sand people, not just the men, but the women and the children. And you don't have to include that. You can put that in the blooper reel if you want. But he's given clear instructions to go utterly destroy all of the Amalekites. Keep nothing for yourself. And he does most he carries out 95% of this commandment, but it says in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 9 that Saul and the people spared Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. See, now they're keeping commands out of convenience. If it's something we want to keep, we'll just keep it. If it's something we're not interested in, if it's just kind of a worthless possession of theirs, then we'll destroy that. Okay. Is anyone having a nowadays example of something like that, though? I mean, does anyone, can anyone think of something that that might correlate to? I think when you think about sins of commission or sins of omission, you know, in this case, well, I left something out. I did most of what you said. I just didn't do all of it. It sounds like something that our kids might say to us. Um you know, how do you apply that to other things that we might do, not either in worship or in life? You know, I did most of what you said, but for example, um, the way that I talk, I'm I, as a Christian, I may not go out and, and cuss and I may not do that, but 
Am I stretching it when I expose myself and my family to music and movies and everything else that does that? Am I saying, am I being inconsistent in doing that? So just things to think about. Well, and this is not too different from the illustration Jesus gives, a very comical illustration about a man with a plank in his eye. You picture a two by four sticking out of someone's face. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's overkill. It's hyperbole, but it's meant to be a humorous illustration and an exaggeration. And you got this guy with a two by four sticking out of his face, trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye. Why would they do that? Well, it's because they're trying to draw attention away from their blare or their glaring faults. They're trying to minimize what they've done and, and, and look at what other people have done instead and draw attention away from them. And that's kind of like what Saul is doing here. When he's confronted about it, he says in verse 20, he says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I did go and do most of what you asked me to do. But the people, that's what he says in verse 21, the people took the plunder and we're just offering them as a sacrifice. He's making excuses again. He's trying to minimize the consequence. It's no big deal. Who did I really hurt? We did most of what was asked. So he's trying to draw attention to the good things that he did in the idea that he did more good than bad. Wasn't in your Bible class on Sunday morning, you brought up the idea of someone blaming God for not being clear? Yes, that's in John chapter 10, where some of the Jews come to Jesus and say, will you just tell us plainly whether you're the Christ? It's Jesus' fault that they don't believe in him. But Jesus had been plenty clear up to that point. We might not blame our peers or our families or anything, but I feel like a lot of times we might be kind of pushing back and we might blame God for not being clear enough or making it too hard on us. I don't know that I blame someone else, but I might blame the situation or blame the law or blame circumstance in general, right? Yeah. And if you're not blaming someone else for your sin, there's a good chance that you're comparing yourself to somebody else's sins. At least I'm not as bad as this guy over here. There's always someone you can point to that has a little bit more offensive sin than you. And you can kind of pat yourself on the back or try to draw attention away from you. And that's that's what Saul's doing here. He's trying to deflect, take the attention away from the, the few things he did wrong, draw attention to what he's done right, and put the blame on the people. He's just trying to draw attention away. Yeah, let's not pay attention to the thing I did wrong. Which may be true. There's probably people who sin more than you. But what a negative outlook that is, rather than seeing this positive opportunity of atonement for your sin. I mean, what a what a glaring missed opportunity to see it as something you need to run from rather than something that you can praise God for giving you, which is a way out by owning, by just owning up to it. Yeah. Well, and, and really the heart of the matter with Saul is you see in verse 24, when Samuel tells him the kingdom is going to be torn away from you, it's, it's not going to go to your son. It's going to go to someone else. It's going to go to someone that will obey the voice of God, which you have proven you do not do or you're incapable of doing. And Saul, it says in verse 24 that Saul said, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. You're thinking, good. He's learning his lesson. It's getting through to him. But then you read on in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Okay, Saul. You were so close, but then he had to turn it back to the people. And then he says in verse 25, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. See, this is a classic sign of someone that doesn't feel the, the, the consequence of their sin, that doesn't understand that sin is wrong, not just because people 
look at you different or because there's there's a, an immediate consequence, it's wrong because it's an offense to God. And here's a classic sign of someone that misses that when they want to fast forward through it to the point where things, let's just go back to how things were. Just just pardon my sin. Let's fast forward through all this. I don't want to go through the grief. I don't want to go through the, the sorrow of this. Let's just fast forward and, and, and just come worship with me. Let's just move on from this. Do you both think there's a connection here? In this example, you've got Saul, who is somebody that the people would have looked to and thought, hey, this person should have a good relationship with God. His public persona should be, I mean, God put him in this position. Could the same be true of a Christian today? Hey, you know, somebody who's been in the church for a long time, or maybe, you know, people look to that person and think, well, that person should be a good person. And therefore, in our minds, we almost get this mentality, well, I can't admit that I sinned or I was wrong because it's expected that I would be of this level. And sometimes, especially those that have been, quote, in the church or raised in the church all their lives, uh, haven't heard much discussion about sin in other people's lives. And so it almost becomes the culture to not embrace that for themselves. Right. Well, and when we read about Saul being anointed as king, it tells us that he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. So he looked like this massive, tall leader figure. He was a valiant warrior. And it says that he came from a a powerful family. Uh, His father had had a good name. So he he checked every box and he looked that part. So you're absolutely right about that. Thinking practical example here too, where, okay, we have a preacher, we have a deacon, we have an elder, right? And so if you're a man- yeah, I heard that. I heard that joke one time. <laughs> we were in a boat. Um, but you think of a, a man who, who either wants to be or is one of those positions and, you know, how will it look, or, or a Bible class teacher, how would it look if you were seen as a sinner? I think that that's where we fall short as a group of God's people and uh, where we lose out on, we, we had another podcast where we were talking about grace, where we've created this uh, environment that people can't be true to who they are because they're, they're afraid of getting canceled, right? Or they're afraid of getting, you know, judged by people. And maybe they're not now, in some people's eyes, worthy of that position or worthy of an opportunity to be in that position someday. Right. Well, and that's where I want to go in a future episode about how do we how do we create a culture, uh, an atmosphere, an environment where people feel like they can confess their sins, where they can unburden, unlike Adam and Eve who hid their sins, and every one of us since then has done the same thing when we should be exposing our sin, getting that guilt away and, and, and restoring that fellowship with God. God and with our brothers and sisters. So how do we create that culture? How do we create that environment? That's that's a future episode. Well, we can see a lot of excuses that Saul made and how we tend to make some of the same excuses today. But by contrast, we look at the person he was replaced with, and that's David. Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 says he was a man after God's own heart. Now, we know what David's sins were. He made a census of the people because of his pride. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and arranged to have her husband killed and cover it up. And that just seems worse than Saul's sins, doesn't it? When you, when you break it down, Saul offered a sacrifice he shouldn't have done. He didn't kill King Agag of the Amalekites. Versus murder, right. David committed adultery, lied to cover it up, and then arranged for the murder of the husband. Doesn't that just seem worse? Yet how is it that David is a man after God's own heart? He did by my human standpoint, he did worse things than Saul. Well, and that's one of the great things as you're looking at David as a great example of repentance and confession is he was 
one of the worst, but he was so open and very self-aware. You know, when it was brought to his attention that he did wrong and he was and he saw that it was wrong, which gets us right back to our main point today is how do you receive this kind of criticism and this view of yourself sin? He was very self-aware, very open and very humble and repentant. I know we're, we're, when you're saying that, you're thinking probably of, uh, you know, of Psalm 51 and just, you know, what he said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned. He had an awareness and certainly a godly sorrow and repentance. And I say that would be the difference with David that you just didn't really see with Saul. You get the feeling with Saul that he was more upset he was caught than than the fact that he'd sinned against God with David. It reminds me of the the story I heard about uh, two preachers. You know, there was a preacher who preached a sermon. There was a visitor there on a Sunday morning. The visitor heard the sermon. He stormed out angry saying, I'll never come back. But he came back the next week anyway, but it was a different preacher, preached almost the same sermon on the same text. The guy came forward and said, I want to become a Christian. He was baptized into Christ that day. Everybody there was like, how could this happen? It was the same sermon. It was the same verse. And so they asked him afterwards, what was the difference? He said, that guy who preached last Sunday preached like I sinned and I was going to hell and almost like he was happy about it. The guy that preached this Sunday preached like I sinned. And if I didn't go to heaven, that it was going to break his heart. And I think the same is true with our response to sin with David. When he confessed his sin, I think his heart was broken that he had disappointed God. And that is really the main difference between Saul and David. Even if you compare the severity, the apparent severity of their sins Saul never really recognized that you almost feel like Saul was just saying, what did I do that was so bad? You could hear Saul rationalizing and making excuses, but David, he felt the weight of his sins. He understood that it destroyed that fellowship he had with God and he grieved over his sins. But what about you guys at home? Do you make excuses when someone confronts you or challenges you about some of your behavior or or perhaps suggests that you have, have erred or sinned in some way? Do you immediately get defensive? Maybe they're wrong, but if you're immediately defensive, you'll never be aware if they're correct. You'll never be there to thank them like David eventually would thank the prophet Nathan for challenging him. So I hope you'll think about this when you are challenged or confronted about your behavior. Don't just immediately get defensive. Don't fall into the same pitfalls as Saul. Thank you for this topic. I'm reminded as we close on Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 when it tells us, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And ultimately sin is deceitful. And so that might be a future episode that we talk about is how do we do that? Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope this episode focused on sin was encouraging. And we hope that you'll subscribe. You'll share this with your friends and join us for the next Exhorter podcast.